Welcome to Flight Day, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Savini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Early New Year. A lot's happened since we last spoke. Let's see what's happened. Zach Wilson was booed off the field. He was replaced by a practice squad player. The Jets got a few Christmas gifts over the weekend, thanks to Tua. And uh, Mike White found super glue for his cracked ribs. And suddenly there's energy again around the Jets. A lot to unpack in this episode of Flight Deck. Let's start with the headlines. Mike White, with his fractured ribs cleared by Jets doctors, he will start on Sunday in Seattle. Zach Wilson goes from temporary starter to basically left out. He will be inactive for the last two games. He essentially is done for the year, barring injury to White or Joe Flacco. And so Zach Wilson's season appears to be over. There's so much to discuss here, but let's start with the hot button issue. Is Zach Wilson done in New York? Now, there was a report over the weekend by Jay Glazer of Fox Sports who said that the Jets are expected to move on from Zach Wilson in the offseason. Now, Glazer is one of the premier NFL insiders. In this case, I think it might be premature to say that. I mean, that could be the eventual outcome, but I don't think the Jets are there yet. I don't think this is an open and shut case here. This is a very, very complicated issue. Uh, I think sometimes we fall into quick take journalism, like at the end of the Jacksonville game the other night, a lot of people declaring that Wilson is done in New York. I think he's done as the starter in New York, but, I mean, let's look at this closely. Uh you know, Joe Douglas drafted this guy second overall in 2021. Joe Douglas is the person with final say on the roster. He could try to figure out a way to justify keeping Zach Wilson in a backup role. Mind you, this was a GM who strongly considered keeping Sam Darnold and drafting a quarterback, keeping both those guys last year. So, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Zach Wilson stays in a backup role. General managers are protective of their draft picks, especially the high ones. And I can I just know that Joe Douglas is not ready to move on yet from Zach Wilson. I don't think he was thrilled with the idea of benching Wilson in the first place after that New England game. So now we're going to cut bait after two years. Remember this, the coach has the final say on the lineup. The GM has the final say on the roster, and I just have a hard time seeing Joe Douglas just give up on the guy after two years. Here's a little background. How unusual would that be? I looked at every top 10 pick drafted quarterback since 1998. There have only been two cases where the drafting team discarded a top 10 quarterback after after one or two years. You have to go back to 98. Of course, the infamous Ryan Leaf, the San Diego Chargers drafted him second overall. He lasted only two years. And then just a couple of years ago, Arizona drafts Josh Rosen 10th overall, and they part with him after one year, kind of extenuating circumstances on the Rosen situation. They hired Cliff Kingsbury, and they had an opportunity to draft Kyler Murray number one overall, and that really led to Rosen's ouster, but really only two cases in, in recent times 
and I think the Jets most certainly don't want to be the third. So this is a very, very multi-layered decision. I think if it were up to, you know, Robert Sala and the coaches, they'd probably want to move on from Wilson. I think Wilson, I mean, Douglas and the scouts, I think would want to keep him and try to develop him. Robert Sala publicly has very been very adamant about saying we're not giving up on this player. He's part of our future. Uh, notice the way he phrased that. He didn't say he is our future. He just said he's part of our future, and there is a big difference. Um, I know some people are wondering about the cap ramifications, so I'll try to spell it out without getting too deep into the weeds here. Uh, he is uh, Wilson is due to count $9.6 million on next year's cap. If they cut him before June 1st, that number would balloon to 20.8. So it would actually cost them a little more than $11 million to not have him on the roster than to have him. I do not see cutting as a scenario in any in any case. I, it just makes no sense to cut the player. Now, could they trade him? That is more palatable. You know, if they trade him before June 1st, they get stuck with 11.5 million on the cap. So essentially, they'd be losing. It would be costing almost two million more to trade him than to keep him. It's not ideal with 11 and a half million of dead money on your cap but it's something that is not prohibitive. Now, in terms of his salary, he's guaranteed $3.9 million next year and $5.5 million the year after that. If they were to trade Zach Wilson, I think the Jets probably would have to eat some of that money. It's a little steep for a backup. You know, backups generally go about $3 million a year now. So would a team trade for Zach Wilson as a backup? Two years, $9.4 million. little steep. Jets might have to eat a little bit of that money to make a deal possible. So then, you you know, does ownership want to eat money? There's so much, so much involved in that decision. The bottom line is it appears that the Jets blew the number two pick in the draft. And as we pointed out in detail at the time, they could have done so much with that pick. They could have traded down. They could have picked up a couple of premier players. They could have picked up a quarterback. They could have traded down, still got some picks back, and still picked a guy like Justin Fields. So at this point, it looks like Joe Douglas seriously miscalculated that. I think this is starting to become a thought within the organization. I, I think, fan, think people in the organization are wondering what might have been, and that tells me that uh, – that this could get very interesting in the offseason between uh, between front office and coaching staff and scouts. It's it's a really, really like I said, a very multi-layered decision. As for this week, it was a no-brainer. You had to start Mike White. As soon as he got the clearance, uh, you go with him. Zach Wilson was horrible in the Jacksonville game. And to me, the one play that sticks out was the third play of the game. The Jets get the ball on a short field. They're knocking on the door. It's third down and five. It's a basic play, and Wilson gets sacked. I mean, it was it was a safety blitz by Andre Sisco. The Jets have a five-man protection. They're sliding to the left, so Wilson knows his left side is protected. His job on the play is to watch his right side. If there's an unblocked blitzer coming, then he has to throw hot. He has to throw to his hot receiver. He does not look right at all. He's looking left the entire time. He gets front-sided by Cisco, who, who comes unblocked, and he got creamed. And 
you know, that, that's just a basic play. The quarterback has to be aware of that play. And Mike, uh, Mike LaFleur explained this the next day to us. And LaFleur, who always, always takes the bullet whenever a play doesn't work out, essentially pointed out what Wilson should have done here and admitted, surprisingly, that he had to cut down on the number of five-man protections he called for the remainder of the game. So for a guy like Mike LaFleur to admit that to me was really telling. So I would have benched Wilson at halftime. I would have started the second half with Flacco, considering what was on the line in this game. Sala did not have the quick hook. He got into the Streveler package, which turned into another story in itself. And I, I couldn't believe what I saw after the game. Zach Wilson standing at the podium, he... I mean, his confidence is shot. He, that is what he conveyed after the game. Uh, it, it was almost sad. I mean, it seemed like he was almost begging to be benched, and the irony really dawned on me. This guy was benched in the first place after the first New England game for essentially, or second New England game, for essentially showing no accountability, and he got benched. Now, here he was basically admitting that he stunk in this game, taking it all on himself, accepting all accountability, and he gets benched again. So really a dark situation for, for Zach Wilson. A dark tunnel was how Robert Soller referred to it. I think he even used the word dungeon. I thought we were getting into a little Game of Thrones there with some of those uh, visuals that he was putting out there. But So Mike White, this is a great opportunity for him. He gets the opportunity to finish the season. This is a massive opportunity to for a payday he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year if he gets the Jets into the playoffs good for him this this will be uh very lucrative for him the key word with Mike White is finish he's got to finish games and he's got to finish drives you know he started six games in his career two of them he couldn't finish because of injury he's got to finish drives you know, the Jets were averaging 400 yards a game during his three starts this year, but they stunk in the red zone, only 33% in the red zone. They've averaged only 22 points a game with White in the lineup. And actually, if you look at it, his points per drive is pretty much the same as Zach Wilson's points per drive this year. So that is the key for Mike White. You can move the ball up and down the field, but you got to get it in the end zone. I think having White will help their pass protection Wilson, we know, holds the ball too long. He averaged 3.13 seconds for delivery from snap to throw. That's the slowest in the league, whereas Mike White is 2.71. That's 0.6 seconds is an eternity in the NFL. I think Mike LeFleur will call a more aggressive game with White at quarterback because, quite frankly, he trusts him more than Zach Wilson. And so the Jets got some gifts over the weekend. Teams losing, and they go from a 5% chance to make the playoffs to the latest right now is 10%. Jets, Miami, New England all battling for that last wild card. Miami's got a 68% chance, but now there's some uncertainty surrounding Tua because of his concussion. He's in concussion protocol. And New England, which is just really giving away this season with these two calamitous endings, very on Belichickian. They have a 19% chance. So it comes down to this. If the Jets win their last two games and New England loses one of their last two, the Jets make the playoffs. I don't think any of these AFC East teams wants to make the playoffs. Remember early in the year we were talking about how the AFC East could be the first division to get all the teams in. 
Well, now it looks like other than Buffalo, no one wants to make it. The Jets have lost four in a row. Miami has lost four in a row. New England has lost two in a row. Does anybody want this spot? Now, a key game this weekend, actually a couple of key games, the KC-Denver game. KC is battling Buffalo for the number one seed at home field advantage. You assume that KC would beat Denver on Sunday, and then on Monday night you have Buffalo at Kansas City. Buffalo, of course, that would be a game that they absolutely would want to win. If something crazy happens and Denver beats Kansas City and then Buffalo goes out on Monday night and beats Cincinnati, Buffalo will clinch the number one seed, in which case they will not have to play their starters in the last game against New England. And that could be very impactful for the Jets because it's New England at Buffalo in the final game. So that is another situation to keep an eye on. It's all kind of complicated as we roll in to week 17 here, but it's Jets Seattle on Sunday. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but at least, hey, the Jets made it to January, and, and by a Christmas miracle over the weekend, they have survived, as C.J. Mosley said, the football gods were definitely at work. All right, it's Twitter time. Jumping right into it with at Ben Liss. Uh, happy holidays, Rich. Why wait to get a week 15 to roll out the Streveler package? Um, he said there were rumors before the first New England game that he'd be activated. And you're right, uh, Ben. He was actually elevated from the practice squad then, but not activated on game day. So uh, what? Ha- this really comes down to numbers. And in this past game, they had so many injured guys that were going to be inactive that it actually opened the possibility to have three quarterbacks up for the game. It is highly, highly unusual and difficult to dress three quarterbacks because you have to pull away from another position. In this case, they saw the opportunity. They took it. The Streveler package actually worked a little bit. They stayed with it too long, but it worked a little bit. I'd be a little surprised if they have it uh, up for the Seattle game on Sunday. Next one from at easy underscore racer. Would the Jets be interested in Sam Darnold if he doesn't resign with the Panthers? Uh, easy. Uh, you know, Sam Darnold has been playing better and the Panthers miraculously are, are back in that divisional race. But no, I do not see Sam Darnold coming back to the Jets. This regime has already given up on Sam Darnold once. They would not bring him back. That would not be a good uh, public relations move. I'm happy for Darnold that he seems to have found his footing, but this is probably not the best situation for him, and I highly doubt that he'd even want to come back. Um, You know how I feel about Darnold. I said two years ago they should have kept him and traded that number two overall pick. I just did not see Zach Wilson as being worth the second pick in the draft, and we have seen the way that has played out. Next one from at at ZBader55. What's the point of Robert Sala saying Zach is the future when it's so obvious by everything else that he's not? Well, as I pointed out, difference between saying he is the future and he's part of our future, and Zach, he is no longer saying Zach is our future. He's off that bandwagon. He's saying what a head coach is supposed to say. He can't come out and say, we're moving on from Zach. We're going to trade him in the offseason because it diminishes his trade value. There's posturing that goes on. Every team pays attention to this stuff. So they have to be as positive as they possibly can 
with any player with regard to his future. At Marty Levine, let's focus on Salah. He's had his share of crises to manage with Mims, Moore, Zach Wilson, team up and downs, player development, winning games. What has he shown you through year two, and how do you evaluate whether or not Johnson slash Douglas got this one right? And Marty believes they did. Salah's had some clock management issues, one of which may have cost him a game. We know that. I think that's an area he could improve in. But I think the team is a reflection of him, and that's by that I mean it's a strong defensive team with the offense a liability. So basically they're the Rex Ryan Jets, reincarnated minus the playoff wins. I think he's a good coach. I think the players are buying into what he's selling. I think he's made strides in changing the culture, which is a Herculean task for any Jets coach. Any Jets coach from the past will tell you that. I thought this team had six to seven win talent going in the year. I was going to pick them to go seven and ten when we found out before the season was starting that Zach Wilson was going to be out a few weeks. I lowered my pick to six and eleven. Uh, but right now, obviously, they're at seven. Maybe they go eight. Maybe they go nine. We'll see how it goes. I think Sala has done a good job this year. Uh, the four-game losing streak notwithstanding, I think he's got potential to really improve as a coach, and I think he's done overall a good job when you take a step back and look at the big picture. Next one from Matt Cuddy Shark 19 Rich, love the pod. Thank you, Cuddy. Here's a wild one. Could you see a Zach Wilson for Russell Wilson trade? And then he goes on to spell out some reasons. Uh, look, that Cuddy, that's not happening. There's no way Russell Wilson is being traded if the Broncos trade Russell Wilson this offseason, they get hit with an $82 million cap charge next year. There is no NFL team that could withstand that kind of financial burden. You'd be hard-pressed to field a 53-man roster. So no, in, in spite of some of those reasons, and there's you know salary cap relief, fresh slate for both teams, you know wife gets to go to the New York market, yada, yada, yada. Not happening. Next one from Matt J., Underscore BAC10, Merry Christmas to you and your family. A two-part question. Do you see the Jets changing up the offensive staff to ensure that they start developing quarterbacks correctly? And two, if Mike White plays well these last two games, does he have a legit shot to start next year? I'll take the second one first. If White plays well and the Jets win these next two games, I think he will definitely be in the conversation to be their starting quarterback next year. I think that decision would be based on what's available around the league. Do they see White as better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Do they see it as better than a Derek Carr in a trade? So there are other options. We have to look at this. We can't look at it in a vacuum. It's not White versus White. It's White versus Garoppolo versus Carr. Other quarterbacks around the league that might be available. I certainly think, though, if he ends on a really high note, he would be in the combo. Now, as for the changing up the staff, I ha I wouldn't rule it out. If they go clunker in these last two games and end with a six-game losing streak, I could certainly see Woody Johnson coming in and saying to Sala, look, you got to change this offensive staff. I mean, some somebody's head's got to roll. That's just the way it works in the NFL and in professional sports. There's always got to be a scapegoat. So I certainly would not rule out that kind of change. Next one from at Gary 52521. What did Salah and Douglas Smith miss in the scouting process on Zach Wilson? Well, we pointed this out, Gary, you know, ad nauseum two years ago. Zach Wilson played a ridiculously easy schedule at BYU 
It was a COVID schedule, no Power 5 opponents. He had was surrounded by a really good team. He did not face any pressure from the pass rush during games. These were easy, easy games. He picked apart a cupcake schedule. He did not face any defenses that were littered with multiple NFL draft prospects. I mean, his claim to fame in college was he went 18 for 18 against Western Michigan in the Idaho famous Potato Bowl. I mean, come on. And this was COVID. They had to do Zoom calls. You couldn't meet prospects face-to-face. It's not the ideal way to find a quarterback. They didn't actually meet Wilson in person during until his pro day. And by then, they had already pretty much decided to draft him. This is a massive mis- miscalculation by Joe Douglas and his department, the scouts, Rex Hogan, the G- assistant GM, who was very high on Wilson. It's just a gross miscalculation, and uh, the ramifications have yet to be felt. And the last one from at Baruch G16. This is Harry Wismer's ghost, and the question is, Rich, is this just recency bias, or has this been one of the wildest years in Jets history? Been following this team since the late Namath era. Can't remember an emotional ringer quite like this one. You raise a good point because the Jets are on a four-game losing streak now. They've also had a four-game winning streak this year. How often do you see that in the same year? It's been crazy, quarterback-wise. Just the upheaval alone from Wilson to Flacco to Wilson to White to Wilson to Streveler back to White. I mean, it's head spinning, but is it the craziest? I don't know. We're talking about the Jets. <laughs> Things get crazy with the Jets. Uh, the Tim Tebow year, the constant questions every week. Why isn't he playing? Uh, how about 2015, Gino, Gino getting punched out by IK? I mean, that was an all-timer. How about 09, Rex declaring that they're eliminated from the playoffs when, in fact, they weren't, and they go all the way to the championship game. So... The point is, there have been some crazy, crazy jet years. Uh, I think this could be up there with them. And we we haven't even finished yet. I still think there's something crazy that's going to happen. We're not through this yet, but we're talking about the Jets. For the Jets, this stuff is par for the course. The Jets are heading cross-country this weekend to face Seattle. This reminds me so much of the 2008 game. The Jets go out there. Eric Mangini was the coach. Brett Favre was the quarterback. The Jets still clinging to playoff hopes. They go out there. The weather's bad. It's a blizzard. And the Jets just play a total... They lay an egg. I remember the first drive of the game. They march down the field. They go like 80 or 90 yards. They get all the way down to the two-yard line or something like that. And Mangini decides to take a field goal. The players were furious and they ended up basically mailing it in. Brett Favre played a terrible game. The Jets lost 13-3, basically knocking themselves out of the playoffs, and then next week they lose again, and Mangini's fired. And so kind of has that feel to it going in here. Now, look, Seattle, they are in a bad way right now. They have lost three in a row. They've lost to a couple of good teams. They lost to San Francisco and Kansas City most recently. Uh, They got some injury problems. Tyler Lockett, their reliable receiver, still a major question mark. He had hand surgery recently. He missed last week's game. They really miss him on third down. Geno Smith, our old friend Geno Smith, who made the Pro Bowl this year, 
Um, good for Gino, but he hasn't been playing great lately. A little of the luster has worn off. Got five interceptions in the last five games. Uh, still completing a high percentage of his passes. He can run a little bit. He could do different things. Uh, you know he wants revenge on the Jets. I mean, you know, he had that run with the Jets. Basically sat the bench the entire year. Comes back the next year. Had a chance. Blew out his knee. Total mess. I'm sure he's got no love lost for the Jets and would love nothing more to beat them. But, uh, you know, Seattle, not a great home team. Used to be a great home team. They're 3-4 and four at home this year. And the one area of the team that the Jets can't exploit, they are ranked 31st in run defense. The Jets' run game has been brutally bad the last few weeks. You would think there's an opportunity there for the Jets to get back on track running the football. I just have a hard time picking the Jets here. It's a tough game. It's a long trip. And I know Seattle's struggling. But what have the Jets done lately to make you believe they can do it? You know, can Mike White come in and spark this team to the point where they actually win a game? I'm not so sure he can do that. Uh, it would be great if he did. It would be a phenomenal story to take this to Miami Sunday, or I, I assume they'd make it the Sunday night game, Jets in Miami for a play-in game. I just don't see the Jets winning this game in Seattle. I'm going to take Seattle 24-21 just because it's two struggling teams, but I'll give the edge to Seattle because they're better at quarterback. They've got the home field, and uh, and they're still very much in the playoff race at, as well, so they have the motivation. I'll take Seattle. This is really a toss-up game. I'm surprised the Jets are favored by a couple of points. Maybe it's the Mike White effect. Maybe Mike White can rally this team from a four-game losing streak. We'll see. It'll be fascinating. Hope you enjoy the game. If you're making the trip, that God bless you, then you are a crazy, super passionate Jet fan to go all that way. I'll be out there. I'll be reporting back. Keep uh, keep it tuned to ESPN.com and follow me on Twitter. Thank you to Jeff Scopin for producing this episode, and we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.